Griffiths again. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Pure Football Podcast. Today, myself and Danny will be speaking about the upcoming international break and Scotland's fixtures against Ukraine at home, Ireland at home and Ukraine away. Unfortunately, Greg couldn't be with us tonight, so before we get started, I'll quickly run through the previous international break's results. We started the break with that disappointing 3-1 defeat at home to Ukraine in the playoff semi-final. We followed that up with a 2-0 win against Armenia at home, and as we all remember, we then followed that up with a 3-0 loss away to Ireland in what was a terrible result. And we rounded off the break with a 4-1 win against Armenia. But that's enough on that. Let's get started with the episode. So we're going to we're gonna talk about the squad selection, Danny. Um, is there anything that kind of jumps out at you? Uh, there's the obvious absentee of, of Andy Robertson, um, who picked up an injury for Liverpool. And has also probably not been in the best form, I know international and club form are a lot different but it does give others a chance to come in and give Steve Clark a look at a few different options and um, there's obviously the dropouts and it's, it was noticeable to me that a goalkeeper a defender and a striker dropped out and John McLaughlin, Grant Hanley and Jacob Brown and Steve Clark decided to just bring in another goalkeeper in Ross McCrory instead of, of bringing in other players that might have thought they'd get a call-up, especially with, I think, the, the three games are within seven days of each other. So it's quite a tight schedule, and obviously this is a bit of a season where the games don't stop. So he's trimmed down the squad a bit. Um, but yeah, they, those were the most noticeable things to me. Yeah, that that surprised me as well, because see, with Hanley uh, dropping out the squad, you look at the central defensive options, and we're really quite limited, in that, especially in that central role. Because I'm looking at there, and... Honestly, we'll talk about our expect our kind of our preferred lineups and stuff later. But I'm looking at the central role, and it's only the only one I'm comfortable with starting is Hendry. Like I, I don't, I'm not particularly keen on any of the other options. Um, because I, I don't think Porteous is ready to start. Um, and yeah, so I think we're we're leaving ourselves light there. Like if if Hendry's to get pick up an injury, what what happens then? Like we're we're really short, and we don't have anyone that's kind of been. Been, been brought in and is up to speed. So yeah, that that was a bit of a weird one for me. Um, in terms of left back, uh, I think that it is a it is a bit of a blow losing Robertson. But as we know, we're pretty stacked at fullback, so I think that it's something we'll manage with. And um, and yeah, it's a, it's a good chance for someone like Greg Taylor, who's having having a great season at Celtic, to kind of maybe make us make a stamp on the team and um, kind of yeah, put himself in the manager's thinking. Yeah, on the on the central defence, sort of issues that the squad has like you said you've got Jack Henry who's a bit of a he's been there done that with Scotland but he's played seven minutes I think or something like that for for Cremonese as he moved to Serie A in, in the summer so he's really lacking game time you've got Scott McKenna who is part of a forest back three so he's used to that but they've also shipped three goals to Bournemouth three goals to Fulham they don't look the soundest defensively and he's kind of struggled to, to come up to Premier League football. And then you've got Porteous, who I agree, I don't think he's ready to be starting for the national team. And then obviously the other option there is, is Scott McTominay, but he 
is utilised in that right centre-back role, not really for his defensive acumen, for lack of a better word. He's there because he can progress the ball well. He's, he's, he's decent with, with receiving it in that sort of space. So, yeah, it is a bit of a weird one that he didn't bring in another central defender. And it might mean that he tries something different. I mean, I know Greg, who isn't here tonight with us, but he he wanted to see a back four. Is that something you'd like, or do you think that Steve Clark will just stick to the same system? I I've seen a lot of talk about it, but honestly, like I think we're we're so far committed to this like system that it like we don't get very much time in these camps. I don't know if it's the time to like make a big shift. Uh, I mean, I don't know. To be fair, like you could say that about any time. When is the right time? But I don't know. It's um, I would probably rather just stick with what we know. As much as it wasn't a great break, a great uh, camp last time. Um, I think I like what the wing backs uh, kind of offer us. Um, because we like, as I said, we're, we're we're quite good there. Um, I like having them more involved in like the kind of attacking phase from the wing back positions, offering the kind of attacking width. So I. I think yeah, I, I would say stick with the, the five or the three, sorry, but um I can see the argument for, for wanting to go to a four, to be fair. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Uh, it's something I, I, I do I am curious about, I, I maybe like to see it, but I just can't see it happening. And Steve Clark is a guy that, that will stick to his guns and it's a system that's worked for him, so I don't see us changing it. Uh, you mentioned the, the wing backs, obviously Big talking point so far this season from a Scotland perspective is Nathan Patterson is finally starting games for Everton. He's looking really good. He had a game-saving tackle against West uh, Ham last weekend where he just nicked the ball away from Corney, who was through and would have tapped the ball into an empty net. Have you liked what you've seen from him so far this season at Everton? Yeah, I can't say I've been watching Everton religiously, but I do follow Everton fans on Twitter um, that I kind of have I kind of trust their view on. And I've only seen good things about him so far. Seen maybe some suggestions that maybe not not like the not the best defensively or maybe athletically, but what he's offering in like the final third, um, with his kind of like his creative passing and stuff, um, and his yeah his delivery has been has been really good. So um yeah that's promising. Um, it's not entirely surprising to me that it's taken him to this season to get um to kind of get a consistent spot because as we know last season Everton were were in a right mess and they were in the relegation battle like as soon as he came in really. Um, so it's maybe not such a surprise that Frank Lampard uh, opted with the kind of club captain sort of sort of passion merchant uh, option with Coleman. Like I can see why you would you would want to keep sort of a character like that in the team um, when you're in that kind of moment of sort of high pressure and sort of high risk. So or maybe as well, it's not a good opportunity to to kind of bed in a young player that's like kind of they'll have the fans on their back whenever they make a mistake and things like that. So. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm glad he's he's playing games. I always believed that he would he would be starting for them sooner rather than later. But uh, it's maybe not so surprising that it's it's taken till this season for it to happen. So moving on um, to our first kind of preview point, uh, let's look at the Ukraine game that's coming up, or I should say both Ukraine games that are coming up. But firstly, the the game at home. Um, so taking a real look back at, Ukra- at Ukraine's re- recent results, they obviously they had the three one game at Hamden where. They fairly comfortable were fairly comfortably beating us for the majority of the game, um, until we had a sort of uh, a comeback spell for maybe like ten minutes or so at the end. But then the game was put to bed with that last minute, last minute winner for them. Um, after that, they went into the final against Wales, as we know, and they lost that. Um, that was followed by beating Ireland uh, and then beating Armenia. But they did slip up with a draw to Ireland at home, or 
as it, I'm not sure if it, it was at home, but um, a, a technically a home fixture. Um, so it's, it has them sitting at the top of the group we're in um, with seven points. Uh, that's a point clear of us and um, three points clear of Ireland. So they they are they are looking like the strongest team in the group at the moment. But I would say that we played very badly against them and um and the in the in the playoff and I don't think we'll be that bad again. So yeah, it's 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 maybe not one to be too negative about. But any thoughts on that, Danny? Yeah, I mean that game back then. I forgot. I think it was in June. It was awful from Scotland. But there was a lot of mitigating factors around that and it was a lot of that Ukraine team had had a rest for a long time for very obviously bad reasons that they hadn't played football. So you, it would it went the wrong way for Scotland and they looked fresher, they looked better and they just ran us off the park, especially in midfield. Uh, a big part of that midfield was Zinchenko who got a lot of plaudits for how he played in that game. He obviously got his move to Arsenal in the summer and he's looked great since, but he's now out. Uh, how much of a miss do you think he is for that Ukraine team? Yeah, I think that's that's a, a, a big point. Um, he it always looks really, really good for them in that midfield. Um, the quality of his kind of creative passing um, and sort of just uh, netting the play all together for them um, is something that, as far as I'm aware, they can't replace in the squad. So that is, yeah, that is really, that is something that I would... I would point to as a, a good kind of point for Scotland because we we can maybe look to exert a bit more control in the game there because they they maybe won't have the same level of control without Zinchenko. So yeah, that's something that something that maybe we should look to exploit there. And uh, I guess the other the other big point in Ukraine squad is um is M- uh, Mudrik who has been having I mean a great he's been having great a great time recently at Shakhtar. Um and we saw that in the Champions League where he's he's looked so dangerous so far and. Uh, what, what, what are you expecting from him? Is he, is he someone to be worried about, Danny? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's been linked with Brentford and Arsenal quite a lot in the summer. And then I think Liverpool have been looking at him recently. Um, he scored against Celtic recently in the Champions League. Again, he completely ripped through Juranovic, who starts over Ralston, who might be starting in that game. I'd imagine it's probably Patterson. But he is incredibly quick, incredibly skillful, and and he's just really good. So yeah, it's it's a worry for Scotland, especially because we're not the best on the right side of that back three. If it's McTominay there, I don't know if I trust him to be left one on one if the wing backs out of the game with with Mudrik. So yeah, he is definitely the one to look out for, and I think he's sort of the growing star of this Ukraine team. Yeah, I just second everything you say there, to be honest, and it does worry me with that that right hand side of our back three because that's kind of defensively at least that's our sort of point where we don't we can we don't know who's going to start there. Whereas I think we can probably with a bit more confidence kind of predict the the rest of it. So yeah, I'm I'm a bit worried about that. I'll be especially worried if it's a game where Scotland are on top, um, being at home, and that counter threat like that in transition, he is absolutely lethal. I'm pretty sure in their first Champions League game against Leipzig, he scored and assisted. It was he, he at least had a, he at least scored, um, and he was he was really good in that game. And then obviously, as we said about Celtic, he was great against Celtic. So yeah, I think that he is he's definitely the the main threat to to worry about with Ukraine. Okay, so the second game uh, that Scotland have is Ireland in Glasgow. Um, so obviously, last time out, Ireland beat Scotland three 0 
Um, they've had sort of a mixed bag with their Nations League campaign so far. So they, they actually got beat by Armenia in the first game, then beat by the Ukraine. So it looked like it was one of Scotland's easier games, but it turned not out not to be the case. They then drew against the Ukraine, like Reese just mentioned prior, uh, in Poland, I, I'd imagine the game was. So yeah, they've had sort of a mixed bag. The 3-0 defeat was a bit of a shocking result, Reese. Um have you got any thoughts on the Ireland game? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie, that game, I was in Barcelona on holiday and we were watching it, like having kind of pre-drinks and I just kind of zoned out from it at about 2-0. <laughs> and yeah, it was just such a bad game. Like from what I remember of it anyway, we were just terrible. And I know I said this about the Ukraine game too, so maybe I'm kind of uh, clutching a little bit, but like surely we can't be that bad again. And um, also we're at home this time, so you'd think that we, we'd be a little bit better there. But yeah, I, I'm not too worried about the Ireland game. I, I don't want to be like kind of overconfident, but I do think um, of the Games Cup, this should be the, the easier of the three games we have, being the other two against Ukraine. So I spoke to my friend Mark Penrose, who is an analyst at Shamrock Rovers and a general Irish football expert. Unfortunately, I couldn't get him on the pod, but um, he sent me a very long WhatsApp message and I'm going to try and summarise what he had to say about it. So Mark's expecting them to go with a 3-5-2 against us um, and he thinks we'll have a Pizzuno in goals, who's been doing great since his move to Southampton. Then he thinks we'll be a back three of Egan, Duffy and Collins and then a five across the middle with wing-backs um, of McLean, Cullen, then a Hendrick or Malumbi and then Doherty, if he's fit enough to play, that is, because I know that his, his fitness has been a big doubt at Spurs. And then that three um, will be with Knight as well. And um, and then an Obafemi and Parrott strike partnership up there. So that's what he's expecting. But he has mentioned that the biggest loss from their squad is uh, Oma Bamadeli, and he's been replaced by Scales, but he's not expecting him to play much. And as kind of Scottish football hands will know, he's been playing up at Aberdeen. So we maybe won't see much of him. One thing Mark's pointed out is that he would like to see Egan get moved centrally, take Duffy out of the team, and then play O'Shea as left centre-back because he just doesn't think that Duffy's good enough on the ball. And yeah, another big talking point for them is the return of Robbie Brady from the squad uh, to the squad, sorry. But he doesn't expect him to start against Scotland either. Is there anything you've got to say about that, Danny? Yeah, I wonder a strange one because you look at the squad and you think that, with no disrespect, Scotland have, have, have a stronger squad. Um, they have a stronger starting eleven. Obviously, Bazuna in goals is he's very good. Um, obviously, moved to Southampton in the summer, and they do have some dangerous players. But I did not expect that three 0 defeat. I don't think many people did at the time. I think we definitely owed them one. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, I I think I think there also might be a bit like I mean I don't want to get too like kind of cliched and all that, but I think like surely the players are going to be wanting to prove something in this game because that was a really bad result for us. And you'd think they'd be out there to try and to try and clear their names a wee bit because that against a neighbour as well, that's just not a good result. And yeah, um, one thing about the starting eleven that Mark points out is Ob- Obafemi, who was obviously really good against us in June, is that he's actually kind of had some public issues with Ke- the manager Kenny in the past, and he's also now kind of having a bit of a public fight with his manager at Swansea, Russell Martin, um, former Scotland international, because he didn't get a move in the summer. So it might actually, it may, it's a bit maybe touch and go about whether he starts, but um, so that's one to look out for. But yeah, overall, Mark, Mark basically just highlights that the the feeling around the around the camp is good. But they were disappointed with the results of the last of the last um, international break. Obviously, they were ecstatic with the result against us, and then the performance against Ukraine was great. So they ended it on a high. But the 
yeah, the 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 loss to the loss to Armenia and the the I guess the first loss to Ukraine, they were big disappointments, especially the Armenia game because I think they were really they were really banking on picking up points against them in this group. So yeah, I think basically he's Mark saying that it's things are looking good, but not massively confident about how the Scotland match will go, especially with the kind of erratic nature of the results they've had under Kenny so far. So I think I think we're probably going into this as the home team as the favourites and as the more confident. So I think um. It'll, it'll, it'll be a good game and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I've got tickets for, for both the games coming up. Are you going to either of them down? Yeah, I am not. I am, as you know, going in a, a cast for my ankle on Wednesday, so can't go to the Ukraine game. And I've already had a night out planned for the Ireland game for a while, so I unfortunately can't make either game due to an injury. But I'll be watching, I'll be looking out for you on the team. Yeah, North Stand, so we'll see. One thing I will say about the, the Ireland game is, is it's a game that we should be looking to absolutely dominate the midfield I mean with McGinn I know he's not had the greatest start to a season at Villa Gilmore who's not had much playing time but then you've got McGregor who who looked really good in the Champions League so far but that those are three high quality players and I think that we should be looking to dominate the ball and, and sort of cutting through this island team with our midfield that we have I think that we're a lot more superior in that department. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I just think all of the best football that this Scotland team plays is when is when we have the ball. Like, I think that like, in terms of like when we actually can control the ball, our best performances come because that when we get that midfield going, it is it, technically that's the best Scotland midfield that in my memory. Like the technical level of those footballers is is better than we've had in like ever really. It doesn't make sense for us to not utilize that. So I definitely agree. We we want to see. McGregor and Gilmore commanding that, getting on the ball there, and yeah, that I think that is that is the route to success for us. So I, I definitely agree with you there, Danny. So I'll move on to some um, listener questions. We've got Owen who has asked, "What's your preferred back five for the upcoming fixtures?" And sort of part of the same question, "What's your favourite role for McTominay in this side?" He does mention the bench after, but I'll I'll leave Reese to answer that question. So I'm gonna get two answers. My my sensible answer is we go with a uh, Hickey or Taylor at left wing back, Patterson at right wing back. I'm not too fast about left wing back. I think Taylor's probably the safer option, but um, I'm kind of happy with both. And then across the back to as I mentioned earlier, the only only set like central centre back I really feel that comfortable with right now is Hendry. So I'd have him there, and I'd obviously have Tierney to the left. And then on the right, out of necessity, I'm going to say McTominay because I'm just looking at the squad and I'm struggling to see the other options we have. Unless, and this is my, my second take, we go big brain here, which won't happen. We have Taylor left wing back with Patterson right wing back, and then we have Tierney left centre back with Hendry in the middle, and then we could try Hickey at right centre back, but he is quite short, so I'm not entirely sure if that will work in the kind of like we might be targeted early with that because you'll end up having kind of two shorter wide centre backs um, that are kind of there to be exploited. So that that's maybe would maybe wouldn't work, but I would like to see it from a kind of in possession standpoint because I think the the sort of passing out that we'd we'd get from um, having Hickey and Tick Tierney to the right and left of Hendry would would be a lot better than any other option really. Um, and cause I quite like Hickey's passing game. I think something people have watched him for a while. He he's played midfield in youth teams and he he likes to come inside with the ball and I think that he's comfortable in possession. So the idea of having him. Like kind of like as as that right centre back is quite appealing in possession for me, but I do fully appreciate that we might uh, we might end up being the target of long balls, kind of diagonals uh, aimed at Tierney and Hecke that that way. Any thoughts on that, Dan? Yeah, I'll go to your big brain first. I think with that sort of Hecke at right centre back, 
if I recall, I think your one of Yuremchuk's goals for Ukraine was Hickey and him, and he's obviously a big six foot two striker at the back post, and Hickey was left exposed. I think in possession that's an a great back five, but I think against higher quality teams like the Ukraine, then we'd probably not see it because it would be targeted. It might be something to do against Armenia or, or, or someone like that. But yeah, I do like the idea. I think I would agree with your your first back five, your, your sensible take. Um, I'm really happy for Greg Taylor. I think he's been absolutely fantastic for Celtic this season and for quite a while now. I think he's proved quite a lot of people wrong and he's deserved sort of a chance to, to have a go in, in that role for Scotland. Um. Obviously, with Hickey, he, to, to Scottish people, is seen as a left wing-back, but I know me and you have had quite a few arguments with people on Twitter about where his best position is because a lot of people see him as a, a right wing-back, which is where he plays for Brentford most of the time. I think long-term for Scotland, I'd like him at left wing-back just because I think him and Patterson complement each other well on either side. And that seems like a natural progression from from Robertson and Tierney to go to those two young guys. Yeah, I think um, it's a weird one with Hickey because it was really it used to really annoy me when people would say, "Oh, they should play him right back," because he's like, "Oh, he's two footed," blah blah. And I'd be like, kind of like the usual, like, "Yeah, well, the, the the defensive angles are different. It's not just about being good with both feet." But then, yeah, just like that, he starts getting played at club level there a lot, and I'm like, "Oh, maybe I'm wrong." So I don't know. I'm not sure what to think about about him on the right. I need. I think I need to go and watch. Like watch some of his games uh, specifically right on the right and see what I think about it, um, because I I don't think I've kind of got a fully a fully kind of cooked take on it yet. But um, it is it's definitely good to see. It's great to see him getting min- Premier League minutes like consistently at Brentford. So I'm I'm happy for him there. But um, it's something that I'm not entirely deci- decided on yet. But um, yeah, I think in terms of being sensible, I think yeah, let let's go with McTominay as the right centre back for 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 the upcoming games, or at least for the for the first Ukraine game anyway. Yeah, I just realised I didn't answer that second one. Yeah, <laughs> my favourite role for McTominay is the bench. I'm not his biggest fan, but for this international break, I don't really see another option other than him at that right centre back role because. He knows it. He has done well there in the past. I wouldn't trust either of the other two to sort of play that role. I think McKenna is more of a left-sided centre-back for Forrest. So to switch him completely to another side of a back four seems like a risk. You wouldn't want McKenna on the right, would you? Because he was totally on the wrong side. Yeah, I mean, he's not looked great at the left for Forrest this season, so I don't think it's right to just try him on the right. And then with Portis, I don't think he's ready to start. I would take McTominay over him I think Tierney Hendry McTominay have played with each other in the past they know each other I think that's the side we'll see and I think that's the side I'm most comfortable with too yeah I think it's worth saying that it wouldn't surprise me if, if Clark does play McKenna over Hendry especially with what you're saying about minutes um, in the middle but yeah I like the Tierney Hendry McKenna and McTominay is the most likely I think anyway that is what I'd say so the next question is from Grant, and I think this is a really interesting one, kind of tactically. So he's asking, he's asking us to kind of discuss the differences between the three four one two and the three four two one, which we prefer and why. So I'll start with what he says. He's, he's saying that basically he doesn't think we should we should play the three four one two. He prefers the three four two one. So what do you think about that, Danny? 
I, I completely agree with Grant. I much prefer the three four two one. I like when we have have sort of that focal point up top, and then the two playing off them. Whether that be the option of going with with Dykes up top as the one and to bounce balls off him, and have Che Adams and Ryan Christie, or Che Adams and David Turnbull, or whoever you want, sort of playing off him, or you have Che Adams who's great at both roles so you can play him as the one and, and he will hold the ball up and he's looked great again for Southampton who have been a wee bit of a surprise package so far in the Premier League so I think that yeah I would say that three four two one is is my favourite and I would put Adams up top and sort of play Christie and someone else off of him um, and just have that as sort of a fluid kind of it's not, it's not a front three but you have options and and you have Che Adams running the channels and holding the ball up. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um for me I, I'm really not a fan of the the, the kind of the one two with the two strikers. Um mainly not even so much in possession, but it really frustrates me out of possession because I think that the first line of the press once once you break that first line, it's so much easier to play through our midfield because I think that when when you lead with a three, just like the the sort of spread of like the what I'm trying to say, the spacing's better. I think that um, you also get the added bonus of if you play one, and I would always play Adams as the one, I think he's got to start, and I think I would have him as the nine. So I think you have him plus the two others, and you get more mobility when you have that as well, because Dykes is a decent presser, but he's not as mobile as Christie. He's not as mobile as like John McGinn. So I think we're always going to see Adams and McGinn, and then one other. So yeah, I just much prefer the... The sort of out possession structure that you get with the 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 front three rather than the the one two because uh yeah I just think that the you get a lot more mobility with the the kind of wide forwards I don't know what you'd call them but yeah that for your pressing than you do with the 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 two one so yeah that's for me it's definitely that also in possession actually just I just like the dynamic better as well so definitely for me it's always going to be the, the the front three yeah I agree just on the pressing as well I think that's something that Ryan Christie really offers this Scotland team. Is it's quite a smart presser in that sort of two behind the Adams, so you get a really good shape out of possession that allows Scotland to kind of push up their back line and squeeze the opposition, which is really good. Uh, another thing, uh, it's frustrating that Jacob Brown had to pull out through injury because I think I've kind of liked what I saw from him in minimal minutes so far in a Scotland top. So the fact that we don't get to see a wee bit more of him maybe in that role when Che Adams needs a rest is a bit frustrating because we know what Dykes can offer but we don't really know what Jacob Brown can offer this Scotland team much yet and and I, I would like to see more of that but he will get chances in the future Yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well it would be nice to see him but I guess it's not the worst, it's not the worst person that could have dropped out but yeah, it would be, would be nice to see a bit more of him Another point uh, Grant makes is we have three games in six days and that's a lot of football so who do you think are the, the hardest to rotate out of this team? Who who are the who are the kind of most irreplaceable players in in the starting eleven for you? I'll go for Tierney is one that Scotland have to be careful with because he's obviously had a lot of injury issues. I don't really like anyone else in that left centre back role that from what I see, bar maybe McKenna, but then you'd lose a lot of what you get in possession with Tierney. Yeah, you you lose so much there. I think I think I'd agree. He's probably the number one. My other one would be McGregor because um or I mean to fair McGregor and Gilmore kind of like 
both of them this this point applies to both of them because I just think that see if we're looking at like having McTominay coming into the midfield as one of the next options, I just think we lose so much in the sort of build up and in, in our possession kind of phase. It's just like I really do not want to see McTominay playing that central midfield role, which is quite a mad thing to say about like a Man United midfielder. But at this point, I think we just know what we get with him. That you can't provide the same the same kind of tools as McGregor and Gilmore. So yeah, I think that the the midfield two are really crucial and the left centre back role there with with Tierney. I think I should also point out that I think Tierney's much more crucial than Robertson in that sense. Like I think we can deal with losing Robertson, but when we lose Tierney, I think that's a much bigger loss. I think it really affects us playing out. Um, we we str- will struggle if we don't have uh, Tierney, whereas we can make but make do without Robertson purely because we have such good depth there. So. So yeah, I'm gonna go for like either of them, central midfielders and Tierney for me. Yeah, I think we saw that with the with the um, World Cup playoff. Tierney was out of that game. I'm pretty sure. I'm almost certain he was. And Robertson had obviously come off the back of playing nearly every single game in a season. But you could notice how different Scotland's like progression and attacking game was without Tierney in that role. So yeah, I, I would. Agree. Yeah, I'm pretty sure in that game, and like after like over an hour, we'd had we hadn't had a shot on target yet. We just weren't getting the ball. We just weren't getting the ball into the possessions to create chances. And I think that a lot of that comes from what you lose with in in the kind of first phase when you when you lose Tierney. So I think yeah, that's I think it's it's so it's so obvious that he's so important for us. So we're moving on. Um, the next one is a, a question from Johnny who is asked: Is there an incoming goalkeeper crisis for the national side? And I think this is coming off the back of, well, McLaughlin dropping out and McCrory coming in and then that leaving our options as keep, for keepers is a geriatric Craig Gordon, um, Liam Kelly and remind me who the third option. Oh, McCrory, I've just said that, yeah. So, yeah, basically, I think it's coming off the back of that being our three options. Do you, do you, have, kind of, do you, have, do you have any strong thoughts on this? I think there is definitely cause for concern. I mean, I try to know, like, most of what's coming through in Scotland, but I don't think there's like a name, a standout name for for an up and coming goalkeeper. It did spark something in me when this question came up. So I had a wee look. Liam Kelly's second in the league in the Scottish Premier League for for goals prevented. So he's got one point three, but he's he's facing like nearly the most shots. So it would probably help if we had Greg here, being the Motherwell fan, but. It's easier for a goalkeeper to prevent more goals if they are not being helped by their defence. I don't think he's really the long-term future there. Maybe McCrory is, but I haven't really seen much of him either. Um, so yeah, I think there is cause for concern. Hopefully a name pops up or someone surprises us all. But yeah, we've relied on older goalkeepers for a long time. Alan McGregor, Craig Gordon, David Marshall. You'd think by now we'd have someone trying to vie for that number one spot, but we're still here with Craig Gordon, who is a great goalkeeper. But how much longer is he really going to be in this side? Yeah, for sure. It's mad with Craig Gordon because like, he wasn't even in the team a few years ago and he's kind of come back into it. Um, it's Yeah, it's, it's been a weird one. And coming back to Ireland, actually, that's one position where we could definitely take a few of them. Like I think all over the squad, like there's not very many places where Ireland are better than in fact, the goalkeeper's the only position probably where Ireland are clearly are clearly better than us, or at least future proofed. Like they've they've got they've got um I'm pretty sure they've got a couple of good options. After 
after Bazunu, I think is it Travers is as well. I think they I think they've got a couple of good good options there in goalkeeper and there are quite young options as well. So um that's somewhere where yeah we, we could uh, we're definitely um we're lacking a little bit. We've gonna go on to the final one and this one is this one's really for you, Danny, but we'll 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 both we'll chat about it. But <laughs> Owen Owen again has asked so he knows that you're a big fan of Deserbi, who has just been appointed as the Brighton manager um, following the departure of Graham Potter to Chelsea. So what do you think that this appointment means for the development of Billy Gilmore? And do you think that um, do you think that this will be good for his development, basically? Yeah, so there was just something before. So Craig Gordon was in goals when Hearts were last in the European football in 2004, and he's there in 2022. So that's how long he's been around, the which shows you. But anyway, so yes, Deserbi is someone that I really like. Uh, I didn't really see much of his Shakhtar team, but obviously that got cut short as well. But I, I watched a lot of him at Sassuolo. Uh, I think there's parallels with Billy Gilmore and um, a midfielder called Maxime Lopez, who is French, but he's at Sassuolo. I think Locatelli got quite a lot of the, obviously, hype and ended up moving to Juventus, but Gilmore and, and um, Lopez are very similar. They're both small, sort of diminutive players who like dropping deep, receiving the ball and turning it and progressing it quickly. And Deserbi is a very... The phrase that's used with Deserbi a lot is vertical football or whatever you want to call it. I'm sure the tactical accounts have described it as such, but he he is someone that likes his midfielders to receive the ball, turn and play the pass forward. And that is exactly what Gilmore is going to give him. You would imagine it's a match made in heaven. Uh, it's frustrating that Graham Potter didn't really get his hands on him, especially because Gilmore left the club where Potter's gone to. But I think if we look at, at Lopez as the blueprint, and I think he's one of Gilmore's most similar players on FB Ref, if you like looking at that, I think there, would, there is a lot of promise there and, and something we should be really excited about. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to pre- preface what I'm about to say is I'm not going to pretend to have watched loads of Deserbi's teams, but I do know a little bit just based off of like pe- reading people's opinions and kind of seeing like clips and stuff like that. And my major kind of impression of him without watching that much is that he's like kind of coach that is kind of build up play is like a big part of like his game and kind of drawing opposition onto him, uh, onto, onto his teams to kind of create space for them to attack into. And uh, I've seen that with sort of like weird, like wacky, like build up patterns, like with him um, sort of like really dropping a lot of players deep and kind of playing a lot of like quick passes in like your own third um, to kind of to kind of then release your attacking players a little bit. Maybe a little bit like Antonio Conte is kind of known for, but I, I'm, I'm probably getting out of my depth here in terms of actually tactical understanding um, of his football. But just on that, that kind of strikes me as something that would suit Gilmore. And when I saw that he was kind of getting linked with the job, that that I was quite happy because it's the right kind of coach. And I guess we should have expected that with Brighton. Like they're a smart club. They they know what they're doing. They were never going to go and appoint Sean Dyche after Potter had left. Like no offense, Sean Dyche, but like that just wasn't going to happen. So um, I'm glad that, that someone, a coach like that has come in um, for Gilmore. Although I agree with you, it's a shame that the way it's worked out because we could have actually seen Gilmore getting minutes at Chelsea potentially with Potter going there if he was actually a big fan of him. So it's, it's a shame, but it's definitely not the worst outcome um, for Gilmore's development to to have him come in as coach. No, definitely not. And and Deserbi has has worked a lot with with younger players. He's had people like Demiral, um, Sensi who got a move to Inter, Boga who's 
been linked to Premier League moves. Locatelli, who obviously got his Juventus move. Raspadori, who is another young talent. So he's someone that, that will put his faith in a player, even if they're young, even if they're inexperienced, which Gilmore still really is, because the only Premier League football he's really played is for Norwich and a really bad team with no disrespect to Norwich. So it's good that he's got a coach that will play football how he wants to play. Deserby wants his teams to have the ball. So and Gilmore needed a team that, that had the ball more often than not. So I'm really excited. I'm, I mean, I probably sound a bit like a fanboy because I have been, but I think there we should be really excited about this appointment for four Gilmore. It's nice to hear someone at you that actually has watched the teams because I feel like he's the kind of manager that is like, really cool and everyone just kind of pretends that they <laughs> pretends that they know loads about them when they actually don't so it's quite good to actually hear someone that's genuinely watched his teams so so yeah it's um i'd also like to add that i i now genuinely dislike norwich um norwich city because the way that their fans talk about billy gilmore is unacceptable they they they, they talk about him like he was absolutely useless when really i think that his performances were a product of their general not being good at football so so I'm I'm excited to see how things pan out this season for him. Yeah, he became I think he became something of a scapegoat for a really bad situation. This always happens with players that are like that show show for the ball all the time. He's someone that's he's not gonna duck his responsibilities. Like he's gonna show for the ball, get on the ball, and then when he's not got the option to pass to, he's gonna get he's gonna turn the ball over and he's gonna make mistakes. And it's just it's like a. It's not a forgiving position to play in a bad team at all, especially because Norwich like to like to play football, but they just weren't good enough to play football in the Premier League last season. So it was just a bad, bad like formula for 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 success there. So I think that yeah, it, it'll be good to see him in a functional team uh, again because when he's played in a functional team, he's looked very good. Like he literally was getting man the matches against Liverpool for Chelsea and the FA Cup, and then when he first came through, he's looked unbelievable for Scotland against England. He's like he's 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 easily shown his talent enough to know that he's not a bad player. So I think that um we've got reason to be hopeful. One thing that may is that Brighton do have a lot of options in there and there are usually only two spots in sort of a double pivot for a Deserby team. So he will have to show his quality to sort of get a lot of game time, but we know how talented he is, like the games you've just mentioned, so hopefully he can kick on. And and obviously it's a permanent move now, so yeah, let's kickstart his career again because it's been a wee bit stagnated on a club level now for about a season and a half. Yeah, I definitely say that it's it's kind of getting to make a break point with him because he he has stagnated, and no matter how talented you are, if you you know if you like if you don't kick on, like you can just get caught in like a downward spiral and things things don't go your way. So yeah, he he has to kick on. So I thought we'd end the podcast with something a little bit different, um, sparked by me and Danny having a Twitter conversation about what um, what albums we've been listening to a lot this year. So I thought we'd we'd just have a quick chat about kind of music we've been listening to recently and any recommendations, and then we'll we'll stick a song in the outro of the podcast. Um, that's kind of a, a joint recommendation from us. So is there anything you've been enjoying recently, Danny? Uh, I think no. You you know the one I'm going to mention. <laughs> Is <laughs> uh, Jed and the Forever Story is the best album of the year by far. It's not even close. I know if Ashwin Roman is listening to this, that he will agree with me. Like that, oh, it's just, just insane. I cannot stop listening to it, and I don't think I will. I think it's the best album I've heard in a long time. 
yeah, I've been absolutely loving it as well. See, um, the my favorite song. Well, actually, I'm not sure. I've got a couple that I've. Well, I mean, I listen to the whole album constantly, but I have to say, um, Dance Now. I love that, and Surround Sound is unreal as well. I mean, there's plenty of good songs on it, but those two stick out to me as like ones that I've been absolutely loving. Yeah, Dance Now, Crack Sandwich, uh, and the one with Yasin B, uh, Stars. Uh, those are my three favorite, but the whole thing back to front is just I don't. There's not a bad moment on that album for me. It's just incredible. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely the top of my like album of the year recommendations at the moment. I think I can't think nothing's come close to it really. The only the other kind of hip hop album that I've been listening to that I actually didn't wasn't that keen on at first, but see the new Kendrick album. I was I kind of was mixed at first on it, but then I've came back to it in the last like month, and I've decided that like I at first I was like oh it's it's okay like it's it's good but it's not exceptional and I've kind of come back to it and it's really grown on me so they're probably my two favorite kind of rap albums that I've been listening to the last couple of months I've got one other suggestion though and it's um excuse the name because it's quite funny but um there's this duo called Jockstrap and they've got a new album called I Love You Jennifer B and it's kind of like I don't know how to describe it maybe sort of electronic glitch pop kind of thing it's really good um it's basically female vocalist and um and then there's a kind of electronic producer guy is uh, basically make up the duo yeah so it's a really good album uh, i would highly recommend it and there's a song called glasgow on it and the single the single cover for that is like the the glasgow city coat of arms so that's quite a cool we link to scottish football there so so that that would be my other other recommendation yeah actually, if you recommended that before i was listening to it i got a few songs in before before I started, when I was waiting for you, I thought I'd play a wee bit of Tony Hawk and, and listen to that. It's, it's good so far. They describe it as a unthinkable fusion of orchestral 60s pop and avant club music. So there you go. You can tell people that. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I think well, what we'll do is when we finish recording, we'll pick a song from what we've just mentioned. I think it's going to be it's gonna be a Jid song and we'll stack, on, we'll stack it on the outro. Do you, want, do you want to decide now? Should we pick one? Yeah, well, we both said dance. Yeah, now, I think we'll so. make it dance now. Yeah, it's a bit of a beat, so we'll we'll make that. So yeah, that's the podcast. So thanks for listening, guys, and um, yeah, we'll see you next time after the after the international break. We'll we'll catch up and we'll we'll have a wee, have a wee reflection on on how it's gone and uh, hopefully well. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, um, and and you don't have us on Twitter and things like that, where where could we fi- where can the listeners find you, Danny? Uh, yeah, so you'll find me uh, at Calcio underscore Danny. Um, as well be I'm glad you've not we've not done predictions this time because we always embarrass ourselves yeah that was that was very strategic there for me <laughs> yeah uh, I'm working to find juries yeah so you can get me on twitter at RT Jenky um, RT and then Jenky with a Y so yeah you can get, get us on there for, for some great football takes <laughs> anyway right thanks for listening guys and we'll see you next time J.I.D. back in the city with it Jitty done been all across the globe They say Jitty scribbler, he's silly with it when he spit it I hope he don't sell his soul He should be good, man, he signed a code He from the hood, nigga, down the road He was just jugging right by the stove Then they saw the patrol, it was time to roll Saw the patrol, it was time to ride Motor running on Memorial Drive Got a country cousin cruising with the black man Savannah at the Florida Georgia line Got a couple family members in Atlanta, not Atlanta We let on Moretta decide They just go let that Beretta fly Cause you niggas bugging, spray pesticides It's me and the bros, it's no extra guy and they moving way, just no exercise We could pick a date to come stretch you out Only showing muscle when it's flexing time You can see the hustle, you can recognize Overcame struggle when the devil tried Let me bear it all when I'm telling God
Nah, you know I'm a rant when I talk to Ja. Nigga said it.